be able to play in any condition. And it just sounds so simple. And this comes through preparation and the ability to be nimble and admit that this isn't working. We're good at being reactive. We're, we're one of those companies that reacts well, but where we now, the way we up our game is being proactive. And now we gotta, we gotta spend as much time fixing problems. We gotta spend as much time preparing to avoid those problems and those pitfalls going forward. What is up, Modern Commerce listeners? I want to show you an amazing app we've been using called Triple Whale. You can check it out. Try triplewhale.com. It has all of the business health metrics and growth metrics you could possibly need all in one place, right? So everybody can get on the same page. This has revolutionized our ability to help grow brands and collaborate with brands. Everyone can get on the same page on the most important metrics. So if you're a media buyer, you could come into this and you can just use this little pin icon right here. And you can pin to the top the most important stuff to you. So if I'm a media buyer, I might have ROAS, I might, might have ad spend, I might have new customer ROAS, right? But if I'm an owner, maybe those things aren't as important to me. Maybe I just want, you know, net profit, show me the net profit, show me the sales, right? Show me the number of orders. Um, so everyone on the team can get in line, get, you know, on the same page of what the most important growth metrics are, because it's different for every brand. Um, so grab Triple Whale at trytriplewhale.com. Use it. I promise you it will make your growth path far more clear. And uh, enjoy this episode of Modern Commerce. Welcome back, Modern Commerce. You're here again with Casey and John. As always, we're doing the next installment of our How to Build a Brand series, and we've got some special guests along with us today, but I'm going to go ahead and kick it on over to my man, John, to introduce them for us. John, take it away, man. Thank you. Today, we have some amazing guests, some guys who have uh, been able to achieve incredible growth with their brand. Um, so we have uh, Danny Weiner and Jason Panzer. Danny is the co-founder and CEO of HexCloud, and Jason is the president. Guys, thank you for being here today. Uh, give maybe a little intro, background on yourselves, and a little background on the brand, maybe. Okay. Well, John, uh, Casey, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, real briefly, um, uh, our co-founder, Cole McRae, and I started HexCloud uh, around 2015. We had done another product uh, right before that, enjoyed a little bit of success in the juicer fee, uh, space, uh, but then uh, could no longer compete with the juice store on every counter or every corner. So we kind of had to pivot a little bit and we'd both been experienced in the cookware market. We were very passionate about, about kitchenware products. Uh, I grew up uh, with all my family members in the restaurant business back in Buffalo, New York. So every cousin, every aunt, uncle, grandmother, uh, my grandmother was the first female head chef in the 1950s in Buffalo, New York. So, um, so this was something that myself and my family were really passionate about. Uh, I originally came from trying to be in the entertainment business and kind of backdoored my way into the kitchenware space. And, um, and essentially, um, what kind of brought us into the cookware arena was we were I didn't want to get involved in anything if like, if we weren't like being a game changer, um, there wasn't much innovation in cookware really. Like I, I, Jason's heard me say it. If the last thing I really saw innovative was like before I was born in the sixties, when Teflon cookware started 
coming up. Other than that, it was a cast iron skillet, stainless steel pan, uh, and then this nonstick, and kind of nothing was going on. And fortuitously, uh, on one of my many, many trips to, uh, to Asia, I ran into the gentleman who invented this hexagon laser etching technology. And it's like, you know, one of those defining moments um, in your life where you go, wow, if I had made a right turn instead of a left turn, or if I've been looking at my cell phone, um, my life would be different. And I, and it was one of these things, actually, I was going to a meeting and I go to walk into this hall and there's like 30 Chinese soldiers blocking my way. And I'm like, and they're like, uh, Xi Jinping is here. So the president of China is there to like cut a ribbon. And because he was there blocking my way, I got circumvented down in some basement and met this lonely guy from Korea who had a booth set up, but didn't even know the technology he had. And we started talking about this hex these hexagons and they were making mainly Korean barbecue plates. And I'm like, I've been in cookware. This could be a game changer. And in 2015, um, we started tweaking the product. We started making it for the Western market. We tried different weights, different handles, putting our hexagon design on the outside because I knew from my previous job that people hate messy exteriors on their pan. I had walked around and I'd seen cookware. Like now there's the, all these cookwares in the D2C space that weren't around. And essentially I saw hundreds of booths with all those type of cookwares and I had no interest in them because there was nothing really unique outside of maybe this one's powder blue or this one's got a green nonstick. Um, so this to me was something really exciting and it was exciting enough that Cole and I like, we dumped everything. We didn't want to raise outside money. We'd already been somewhat successful on our own. Um, we, I cashed out all my retirement accounts. I mean, I used 90% of everything I had in the world. Cole didn't even, Cole was maxing out, every, applying for credit cards, you know, to, to fund the company. And, you know, we started selling slowly in 16 and then every person we talked to said we were crazy. They, they're like, it's too competitive, the cookware space. And they're like, nobody will buy it D to C. So nobody wanted to help us. And essentially, every time we talked to a consultant who was like, oh, well, we think cookware will only sell $100,000 a month online. We're like, okay. And then we'd sell 200 and we'd be like, okay, we need a different consultant, obviously. And, um, and we didn't really want to be brick and mortar centric. We thought we'd have one strategic retail partnership and we'd already done some work with Costco, which is a great place, obviously. But we also felt because our product was unique, it needed its story told a little bit, which Costco provides that. Costco loves the idea. You come there, you get a cheese sample. They do a little demo and maybe you get a sample there. So it kind of fit a new brand that had a really unique look, but people kind of under, needed to understand why this look made the pan better. And essentially, it we kind of took off like, like a skyrocket then, um, both in Costco, where we became like the top selling cookware there. And then online, each month got better and better. And each year got but got better and better. And essentially, since 2018, as fast as we can produce it, we've been able to sell it, you know, 
knock on wood. Yeah. So that's kind of our story, my story. And that doesn't really tell a lot about Jason because he's been really instrumental since he came on in in 2020, helping us achieve that next level. Like somebody really highly, highly competent, highly motivated and ambitious with the best interests of the company in mind. Yeah. So I'm going to pause you, Jason. I think, you know, I'd like to give your, back, give your background and, and how you got involved in this in a second. Um, but a couple of things that I, I just kind of want to like maybe ask some questions about is, um, you know, so first of all, I think uh, in a, I'm going to ask a question, but then one thing that I think is important to like note upfront about Hexclad and a, a large part of your guys' because guys' success is something you've hinted at a little bit is that you truly do have a unique product. Like you have you you truly do have a differentiated product. It's not the same thing manufactured, you know, with like slightly different coloring or something like that. You have a, a unique product. And that that's important. And we'll talk about like what that is, and you can give like the actual, like, here's you know, the value of the, the value prop of Hexclad in a sec. But one thing you hit on a second ago, and it's something that like, you know, everybody has different risk tolerance, right? Um, and, and you said like, you kind of emptied your retirement accounts into this, uh, you maxed it, you guys kind of like made a really, really big bet on this, you and your co-founder. I'm curious, is that like, you know, is that kind of like your MO or was that like a big deal? Like, no, yeah, I, I don't make big bets like that. Like, would you advise would you ever advise somebody take that big of a risk uh, to like start their brand? And and if yes or if no, like why was it, you know, this bet that you were so confident in? You know what I mean? I mean, it's a really good question. I, I, I think like if I, if I had to tell like my niece, somebody I love, like what exactly. my advice is, don't be, I want you to have the passion that you would be willing to risk everything for it. But, but tread very carefully in this space. Like I, I have, there were, there were a couple of things. I had obviously confidence in myself and my, and my abilities, but I, I believed in this case, we had a truly game-changing product and I knew this space quite well. So that gave me a greater level of comfort, but it was scary. You know, I'm not, I'm not 25 years old. So if I, you know, if I screwed this up, like I don't, like at that point, somebody who's always very prepared, I didn't really have a plan B. I don't know. I'm going to become some kind of salesman. So I think you would I, have been couch surfing if it didn't work, <laughs> right? Probably you would have wound up couch surfing because that was that would have been it. Yeah. I mean, so my advice would be have you have to have the belief in it to be willing to do that. I think if you can find some type of partnership or funding that supports your your philosophy and the way which you want to grow this business, then do that. But I also like the only introductions I got at the time were not people I was comfortable going into business with. And I didn't want to be saddled with somebody who didn't share my vision because I, I'll tell you, and not, and, and a lot of people say this, but it's not always true. I'm not, I was never in this for a cash grab. And I feel like a lot of D2C businesses are there for that reason. And I know some of my competitors are. Uh, we cook, our company will be around in 50 years. That's our goal, maybe a hundred years. We're here for the long run with our customer base. It's not just about getting rich quick right now. 
it's about I want to I want to be in your kitchens for the rest of your life, even past mine. So you know, some sort of my answer there. It it is rather risky, and it's it, you have to. Everybody's got to look in the mirror and decide how much they believe in themselves and how much risk they can they can tolerate. Yeah, and and what the true risks are, right? So I mean, it sounds like he's like you knew you knew you had something unique here. Like you knew this space, and you knew this is actually a, a very great and hard to replicate product in this space. Um, so you knew that you actually like had a very real moat, which is hard in business to have a true moat. And then, you know, I don't know if at that point you already had the relationship or the end to Costco, but potentially if you did, you knew you at least had a channel or a way to get it in front of people potentially, and maybe you didn't, but like, you know, knowing, knowing what things you do have in your corner, I think is helpful. Right. There was still a ton of risk in it though. Right. Like, you know, yeah, knowing yeah. that believing in the product was one thing um and, and, and knowing the market was one thing and having a relationship with costco was there but actually it took some time to convince costco to take the product right and they took a chance uh and it wound up being a massive success because we're now we our, our partnership with them just grows you yeah. know by the day right yeah. but they're you know that knowing that belief in the product was huge but still, you know, your own belief isn't always right. So it was, it was a real, real big risk. And that's the thing. So I, I think that it's, I'm a, I'm a little more conservative. I don't know if I would ever bet the farm, right? Like maybe I would, but uh, it's, it's, I think that most founders have that belief in the product. And then sometimes from an objective, an objective viewpoint, you can just kind of see like the it's not really that great. Like, or what, you know, why do I care about it? Or why does the consumer care about it? Right. So I get what you're saying, right. Cause you're like, just cause I, I understand this space and I can see how special it is, but will your average everyday person walking through Costco or, or scrolling online, understand how special it is. Um, yeah, that's incredible. So then, yeah, Jason, tell us about like kind of how you got involved here. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to do this real quick so we can hit more of the fun, uh, substantive stuff, but yeah. it's just about my two year anniversary with Hexclad. Um, I've known Danny probably for 10 years before that and, and, and Cole McRae, uh, co-founder of Hexclad, who couldn't be here today. Um, I, I know him for 25 years and I, I've always, I was kind of a strategic advisor to the company, even when they, when they set it up back in 2013 um, for the juicer business. And I, my career path was, I started my career as an M&A lawyer at Scadden in New York, big law firm. Then I went into the operational side. I was a CFO of a couple of tech companies. Uh, and then I became a banker. And I was, uh, I was a tech and business services banker focusing in two verticals, fintech and marketing tech. Um, and back in mid-2019, when I was talking to Cole and Danny, and I was just blown away by how well the business was doing, you know, I was like, hey, you know, you guys are really on to something here. And, uh, you know, and they were profitable from day one. And I was like, you don't see companies like that, right? P profitable from day one, because they had to be. And so I said, you know, you, you've got something real here, you know, should we raise some money? You know, um, and we kind of thought about it and we would sort of, you know, we would come back to that conversation from time to time, but then, you know, the pandemic hit and the business pre-pandemic was excellent, but, you know, clearly the business, everyone was home cooking, right? So, you know, we benefited from that considerably, but, you know, it was a time you talked about, you know, betting, betting it all, right. They actually, Danny and Cole bet it all twice because they, 
they bet it again in April 2020 when um, when Costco basically shut down road shows. And, was, you know, we were sitting on all this inventory. And, and I remember because I was up in Northern California and these guys were down here in L.A. And I was talking to Cole every day. And uh, they're like, all right, well, we're just going to go all in on the D to C, right? We're just going to crank the spend and we're going to basically, you know, go all in again. Um, and it worked. And as that was happening in April, I was like, hey, guys, you know what? Investment banking is fun, but it'd be more, more fun, you know, to help you. And, you know, my more traditional background, you know, we really, uh, we really all complement one another. So I've been here for two years and, and basically I came in first on the financial side just to you know, make sure we were managing the growth properly because the growth was unbelievable. Um, but it sort of got really, you know, with my marketing tech background and just in general, right, having a product that you can touch and feel as opposed to moving money around, raising money and selling companies, which is what I did back when I was a lawyer and a banker, yeah. was, was super exciting. And I, I never thought that I would become, you know, somewhat of an e-commerce uh I don't want to say expert, but at least, yeah. you know, knowledgeable enough to manage some really great people who work both here and on an agency side. Yeah. You know, it's just been, you know, an incredibly fun two years. And I think the last thing I'll say is, you know, we're sitting here in the middle of our warehouse right now. You can see behind us, those are going to Amazon FBA, those pallets. Yeah. You know, yeah. Danny and I, we've done everything from, you know, unload containers and all throughout the pandemic. We've been here in the office. And it's, it's kind of almost like otherworldly where everyone we talk to is on a Zoom call and no one's coming to the office every day. And this guy's been stuck with me every day for two years. <laughs> yeah. We have a common law uh, relationship <laughs> Community <now>. property <laughs> in LA. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's, okay. Yeah, let's get, let's get into some, kind of some of the stuff that's gone on over the last couple of years. Because you launched 2016, you started selling slowly. It seems like it's like 16, 17, 18. 19 things picked up and picked up and picked up both on D2C and in Costco. D2C, so let's 16 through 19 was D2C largely driven by paid traffic, Facebook ads. Uh, yeah, was it was that kind of your main driver of D2C or yeah, what were your kind of primary drivers pre pandemic? You no, know, in the beginning, yeah, so like you know, a paid social with you know, mainly Facebook and Instagram. Um, but what was really nice as like like nobody got a cookware ad uh, on uh, their social media feed in 2017 and 2018, really. And we started it during really heavy in that point. And by heavy, I mean, you know, at one point we started out, we had like 2000 a month to spend and that, and that was it. But, but what was nice was because we started this thing with Costco going, we noticed like, as we're tracking, like we would be at a Costco, just say in Omaha. And we'd finish 10 days in Omaha at the Costco. And then we'd notice a bit of traffic that was coming from like, right, the people that missed us. Right. And so we noticed some of that. So we felt like in Costco, it's like we're doing a social media demonstration, except we're doing it live and you're doing it all day long. And every time you're doing it for three people, 10 people, 15 people. Um, so that kind of worked um, hand in hand with, with our early strategy for for our our um, paid social spend, now what was we really there was no playbook for us to really 
follow in this space because we were we, we were the biggest problem was we were going through through challenges that were based upon the fact that we had to educate somebody not only on our product we had to educate them on purchasing this type of product for the first time sight unseen and it was kind of like this was when casper was was first like came to my attention i'm like you know who's gonna buy a mattress <laughs> you know without lying you gotta go go to the store and lay down and roll around on it and, but i bought one and you know and i'm like i'll try it out you know i, I nobody hates shopping in a store more than me so <laughs> You know, so we kind of took that idea around it and then tried different things where the recipes working. Okay, yeah, people watch, but they didn't click through. Um, was it, you know, was it just re our really cool photos? Like we tried to, like, we're not getting, in the beginning, we weren't getting engagement. And I remember the first thing that we did with, that got like a significant amount of engagement was took a really cool photo you know, our, our pan's very sleek looking and we, and, and we just put the line under it. Who said cookware can't be sexy? Mm -hmm. And now I got like old grandmas who are like, why do you have to make everything about sex? And, <laughs> but, but people were like, hey, yeah, you know, people are finally like commenting on it. And, um, and, and it was through this trial and error that we were able to find the stuff that we're going to get people to either visit the site. How long are they staying on the, on the site? You know, will they add anything to their card? If they don't, you know, like it, what the challenges that everybody has D to C, we just, you know, had to do it in a way that fit this new model for home kitchenware. Yeah. And one, and one thing to add to that guys is that, you know, the, the business was always an omni-channel business, right? So um, the Costco relationship is a beautiful one. And because it, it really helped us kind of hone the pitch, why it's special, and, you know, getting out there in front of people, like Danny said, you know, it's a product that you kind of have to touch and feel. Now, you know, people, people see how successful we are, you know, they see what's going on, and, they, and then they're in, right? But back then, you know, that was, uh, was no that, that omni-channel strategy differentiated us. And, and frankly, it helped a lot because right away it was successful in Costco because it was a great product. So it was almost like the, so you had the cash the, to go through yeah. that trial and error. The, the D to C was always on the agenda, but it was like, okay, the company's real busy killing it in Costco. Right. And with you know very good unit economics right um so it was like okay we wanted to grow this d2c business but we're really we're kicking it you know we're really just crushing it in, in costco and then q4 2019 you know the the team finally had the time to focus more on the d2c because the roadshow was really you know kind of running nicely and that's when it really got going so q4 2019 is was like the breakout of the D2C business. And then, um, so pre-pandemic and, and all that, you know, excellent numbers in Q4, 2019. And th but then, you know, of course, April, 2020 was a game changer for a lot of companies. And I, I think what's really exciting to me about us today is that we really haven't seen, and I'm, I'm sure you wanna get into this, John, but we haven't seen 
what other companies have seen, which is like they got that pandemic bump. And it's like, uh oh, right. Whereas I feel like we've got these multiple rocket boosters mm-hmm. that we're still tapping into. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so let's let's step through this a little bit because I did want to go like, okay, what does 2016 to 2019 look like? You know, it sounds like it was like it was largely driven by Costco in the early days with D2C. You sort of sort of moving along, getting better and better at D2C, right? Uh did Amazon get involved at some point in that period, 2016 to 2019? Look, you know what? I'll get, let, me, let me give you like, like 15, 20 seconds on each of those years. And I'll tell you, yeah. like 16 was, we got the first product delivered here in like October, November, October, like really that we could start selling. And we were figuring out how to sell it. Like I knew no matter what we did, we had to like, we had to have a, a sales pitch, right? Whether I'm going to sell it to you over a phone or in, at Costco, we weren't in Costco then. And we went looking for opportunities to get in front of people. And we booked some like home shows down at the convention center and things like that. And we were able to start developing this demonstration of like pushing the hot buttons. What, what's going to intrigue people? What do we say and show? Yeah, exactly. So, and then in 17, we had part of 17, we had some, uh, some issues with um supply chain actually uh and so we it was very slow in the first half of 17. the second half of 17 we were kind of perfecting this and we got it into costco mm-hmm. and we started in costco in november of 17. and the very first event we i mean we didn't know i was hoping you know we would do we were there for 10 days we were hoping to do about at least 15 thousand dollars we wound up doing forty thousand in sales in those 10 days and we were so like that that period of not having inventory in the first half killed us because we had no revenue obviously and we didn't want to take we were so close to not needing to take outside money and we didn't want to do it and i'll tell you it was at that point we couldn't afford to ship the product pre-packaged and it's full set so we had to send them over in individual boxes go in cole's backyard with a tape gun tape gun the bottom and then assembly line it we'd get our friends we'd buy pizza we'd be like throwing a 12 inch pan throwing a 12 inch pan and we were like our hands were covered in blood from like paper cuts of closing all these boxes we'd have to like clean the box blood off off the boxes and then ship them to costco to sell because it was that it was that close but it went it, it skyrocketed at that point and just w- with with jason's point about um about like saying uh, we about the q4 of 19 um we were doing better and better online but it was a lot of like moving moving chess pieces around and that though i got a retreat now that one's working this one's not working but the great thing costco kept providing for us was immediate feedback. It was like um, a focus group and to know what was important to our customer, what they were responding to. And what we did was finally the thing that kind of did triggered our on good our online sales increasing in 19 was I had flown to Frankfurt for the Ambiente show, which is the biggest European uh, like houseware show. And I came back and I flew back and I was exhausted and I met this really interesting older business guy. He was 
imparting his wisdom. And we sat up for hours drinking whiskey on the plane. And it was a great meeting. And then the guys who were filming our content were like, listen, we need to film a little video for a buyer to show them the product. So I show up at their little studio. I don't even have clean clothes. I haven't showered. And I'm like going through my laundry in the in my suitcase. I'm like, okay, I'll wear this shirt. And I go, let me put on this vest to cover the wrinkles on <laughs> my shirt. I put a vest on and I do the Costco demo. And they take that thing and they're like, oh, wow, this is really good. And I'm, I mean, it was stunned on no money and that wasn't even lit. Yeah. And, and I'm like expecting them to send it off to the buyer. They wound up cutting it and start running social media ads. And then cut to a few months later, um, it's got millions of views and it really blew things up. And I'm like, so embarrassed because all my, like my high school buddies are like, dude, you look like shit. You look, you look strangers are writing. Is this guy hung over in, in, the, in the comments? And I'm like, oh my God, I can never. I'm still drunk. <laughs> but that, that, that day, that ad, you know, was the formula yeah. for, for basically our best performing ads it's that one and then then there was sort of a redo of it a couple of years later <laughs> but we still crush with it's those still ads in fact that ad it pretty much performs just as good as gordon ramsay yeah so that's what we'll get into in a bit like i, I was like i just want to emphasize that because you guys were pitching in costco um for all day, every day, and you're going on a road show and you're refining this pitch and you're refining the USPs, you're figuring out what to show and what to say. We've had multiple brands that have success doing this. Diff Eyewear started out going to like music festivals, right? Yeah. And they refined the pitch, they refined, and they, they even like figured out how to tweak the product or the packaging or whatever, right? Um, Crossnet. Crossnet started out like, I don't know if you know what Crossnet is, they're like a four square volleyball. They started out like going down to the beach and playing. Right. And they like, they just put it up and play and people would look and they'd be like, Hey, do you want to play? Right. And they just like bring people into it. And they like, over time started listening to what other people were saying they liked about it. And that's the ad messaging. Right. And it's funny because Casey and I, we're, we're interruptive advertisers, right? Like we're demand gen advertisers. That's what we are at our core. And while you're telling me that you're pitching in Costco, right? Like in my head, you were already using that demo as your ad in like 2017. So when you're telling me like, yeah, it was like 2019 Q4, we started figuring that out. I'm like, yeah, that was the ad all along. You know what I mean? And it still yeah. is. Um, so yeah, let's get into it, into 2020, because cookware, definitely something that, that benefited from the pandemic in terms of timing, right? But there are other industries too, like home fitness and stuff like that. And then we've seen in some of these industries, like uh, a really big regression. So Peloton, obviously has had like a, you know, a huge regression. That's a huge public regression in 2021. Right. Um, and, and others, but you guys, uh, got this big boost from the pandemic, right? Like, you know, and from figuring out what your actual ad formula that worked was, um, and making another big bet because I mean, what we didn't cover is you guys had a big sales staff, right? Like April, 2020, you guys had a big sales staff of people on salary who now couldn't go sell it. And you're like, we're just going to put money into ads and we're going to keep all these people employed, which is crazy, right? Like that's, that's a tough bet, right? But you did it. And, and then now you're breaking through in 2020 and, you know, a lot of brands are experiencing regression in 2021, but you guys aren't. So talk me through some of that. And, and the Gordon Ramsay partnership, I think is part of it, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll do this. And then Jason, I'll, I'll give you more of the fluff and then Jason gives you the, the meat. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but, right. 
but um you know stay with 20 like all of a sudden we're like for all we'd suffered and how hard we'd work we're like oh we're here 2019 was great and we're heading into we're gonna do even better in 2020 and we're killing it at costco and we're doing well online we're like getting it but not like costco we're shooting fish you know it's it's yeah, you refine that yeah we refined it and it's running great and then march costco shuts down the roadshow so we have all this inventory that we have ordered for costco thousands of sets of cookware per month um we have 50 about 50 sales reps but and by the way the one thing is they were independent contractors at that point because they, they wanted to be commission only and they made a lot of money and the thing was now there's no way to make a commission and cole and i were like uh what are we going to do well we're like we've got all this inventory we we're figuring out online and we're like we said to each other we go this is what we're gonna do we're not going to take salaries and for however long we can't we're going to dump every penny we can into so you know we're like fuck the budgets we're going to just we're we're all the cash we have available is going into into uh paid social and then and I want to say it because this was our belief in it not to like go look at what a good guy i am it's not about that but all 50 guys we called all of them and they were all scared that they're not you know we hired everybody full-time we're like you all work for the company now we gave everybody health insurance uh if they didn't have it uh and they all agreed like they would we'll do customer service for you we'll do whatever you need because they're all sitting at home getting paid and by the way, like almost every one of those people are still with us. Nobody's quit and and love us because of that. Right. And what happened was in April, and this was when Jason was kind of st starting his soft launch with us, all of a sudden it exploded. Like we sold maybe five or six times what we sold in March online in, in April. And we were here seven days a week, packing boxes, driving the forklift, doing whatever we had to do to, to meet the demand. In a much smaller warehouse doing all the fulfillment was like blocking the streets in, of LA to load FedEx trucks. Like we stole the police barricade things from downtown and drove them over and we're putting up fake barricades so we can stage for yeah. FedEx to come in the middle of the, in the, middle of the they street. They were loading out in the middle of the street, yeah that's crazy um cool so yeah like it kind of you got this rocket booster 2020 you know timing and and moving your money into the right spot which and, and i do want to emphasize like you said earlier hindsight all of us in e-commerce know hey april 2020 that was a great time to scale right uh <laughs> yeah. we call it stimmy season uh but like the the at the time you didn't know that right like you didn't have hindsight then right so it was it was a big bet like again right um, but 2020, so a lot of that momentum carried throughout 2020. And so talking about 2021, so many brands experienced a regression because of demand planning issues, right? So, uh, we had, you know, boats in LA Harbor, like sitting, you know, just sitting there with inventory, people couldn't get their stuff, prices of crates were going up. So, um, and, and we don't know how to demand plan now. So, so many of these like brands that like really boomed in 20, uh, demand plan really heavy in 2021 
right? Like this has happened with a, with a bunch of brands we worked with. They, they really put in some really big POs in 2021. Uh, and then some things started going back, like people started being able to travel a little bit again, that we're competing for more wallet share in e-commerce um, or competing with more things for wallet share as is normal in e-commerce. Uh, and also in you know, probably May or June, April, iOS 14 hits, you know, so if you guys are really in big on paid social, right, iOS 14 hits in April, and it really starts hurting and taking effect on the platform in May slash June. So yeah, talk me through that. Like, how did you guys navigate 2020 and continue to have good growth? Because you did, right? Like you didn't, a lot of these brands had regression or just way undergrew their projection, which puts you in a difficult cash situation to, to far undergrow your projection. Um, yeah. How, how did you guys manage that, that year? You know, there's a lot of luck and to go with the skill. Yeah. You know, right. It's like the harder you work, the luckier, luckier you get. Right. I like to use a lot. And, you know, going back to 2020 a little bit, you could see, you know, like it was very hard to do poorly. Right. Like yeah. April, May. In fact, our biggest problem was that we sold everything in April. By mid-May, we were almost out. Yeah. I mean, in 2020, it was crazy, right? So we were trying to source more product to, to, to sell more, right? And then you had the election in 2020 and you could see CPMs going up and just CAC, you know, CAC going up. And there was a couple of months like September and October, which we were like, well, we actually, now we need to focus and we need to get good at this. Yeah. Right. Like anyone could have been good in April, May, June. It's like, all right. So how do we get good at this? And we just like, we just, you know, we really kind of, you know, we really focused. And then, uh, you know, November, the holiday season, we feel like a lot of the seeds that we planted in our marketing, in our paid social, yeah. when, you know, when costs were high, you know, they, we, we just killed it. Right. And um, so, and then rolling into 2020, it was, 2021 was like you know we were having this fun conversation with a British chef, <laughs> Gordon. Yeah, and it yeah. was one of you know, and in those kinds of conversations, they take a while. But you know, we we felt really good about the dialogue we were having and how complimentary we were. And so you know, we just sort of, we got better and got more efficient in 2021 and early 2021, mm-hmm. knowing that at some point we were going to go rocket booster number two was Gordon. Right. Yeah. And so um, that's really, you know, that's really what we did. And we are spend, you know, our, at the same time we're working on Gordon, we're trying to get better. And I think it, it, it went until 2022, early 2022, yeah. like just like January of this year, where it's like, okay, we really have this dialed in now. You know, Gordon's been with us for a while and, and we're seeing that in our numbers now, like our, our efficiency uh, where other brands are suffering and just spending, spending, spending. We are able to toe the line. Like we're not going to spend it unless we're getting this, right? We've got MER targets. And yeah. so we're really disciplined about it. And it comes from the beginning, you know, Danny and Cole putting in their own money, never raising any outside capital. We, uh, yeah. we, we, we try to be, you know, extremely thoughtful about our goals and, and how we spend our money. And, and we're just, you know, we've been, it's a constant learning process. We're getting, you know, we're just, 
it's fun you know, at this point at our ages, right? Thinking that we're gonna just like totally learn something new. I never thought I would. And you know, we're in our fifties. Sorry, Danny. You son of a bitch. Uh, we're in our, <laughs> you know, we're in our fifties, and we're dealing with all these young hotshots. You know, twenty-five to thirty-three yeah. in ecom, and but like, there's a little bit of that age factor that helps us. Yeah. You know, you do gain a little bit of wisdom as you get older. So what we managed to do actually is create sort of a best of breed team, yeah. not in-house actually. We'll do, we have some great people in-house. We like to leverage the expertise of agencies yeah. and we manage them well. We have a lot of fun with them too. Like yeah. we want to work with people that are obsessed with our mission. And so I think that's been huge for us, like yeah. really... And we cycled through some better and, and worse, but we, we've gotten to this point where it's like people want to hang around Hexclad because we're successful and it's fun. And so we're just like, now we're just sort of getting incrementally better. And just the last thing about the, uh, what you said about people over-ordering and stock and, and all that, you know, this is another one where we got a little bit lucky. We did order a lot in Q1 of last year. But when supply chain got crazy in in September, we were glad yeah. that we overordered. You so, know, on that on that point, I would say this. And this, like, I'll tell you, you know, uh, as a CEO, you know how you know you're going to get fired by me is if we have to run an ad saying the knife or pan that sold out six times. My ordering manager. You get you you can screw up once and not and not do your proper projections and ordering. If yeah. you're always under ordering or we're, you don't you don't tell me we got to get additional funding, I'm like that to me is just bad planning on, on a company's part, and and it doesn't give me confidence in buying the product because it's sold out a bunch of times. It just tells me that you didn't have the funding to order enough or the wherewithal to see uh, your projections through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, demand planning was hard for those two years, but it's, I mean, it sounds like it, it worked out pretty well for you guys. So I, I do want to hit on something you just said, because one of the things that we pretty commonly talk through on these building brand series is agencies, agencies versus in-house. You guys, um, you know, you don't, you don't share your numbers publicly, but I will, I will put it this way, knowing at least having some insight into your numbers, you guys are at a level of growth where other brands we've talked to at a similar level of growth have, have said, hey, you know, at that level, it really makes a lot of sense to just build the team in-house as much as possible and not use agency partners as much. It sounds like you guys still do leverage the expertise of agency partners. Now, obviously, Casey and I are agency guys. We're a little biased, right? But like, um, yeah, I'm interested in, you know, what, how do you, how do you distinguish between like, hey, this is something that we can use a vendor, a partner to do. Um, or this is something that, you know, we should have this core competency in-house. Yeah, no, I think e-com, the e-com landscape and, and like you mentioned, the iOS changes and, you know, the rise of TikTok now and everything else. It's like, I think if you're in-house, you're just not exposed to enough. You have to really try very hard to get that information and knowledge. Yeah. Um, and so you just have to be really careful that way. And so we've, we've, you know, we just like having, I think of agencies, not as agencies, but as experts, right? So we're the generalists and we bring in the experts and, you know, it's, it's, 
it's worked well for us. There's, there's, you know, there are a lot of good, good people out there and, and they, they want to work on multiple brands because it's, it's exciting for them. And they, they, that's how you learn. Right. So I just think that, you know, bringing, bringing the team in house, if you do that, you've got to be super careful. And we just haven't found the right people and we will, you know, we will uh, eventually, but what we're doing now is, is working. And if it makes sense, because, because like the, you know, one one people one group that was pitching us on on working with them. They're like, you know, okay, we're going to do an audit of something. I don't even remember what they were auditing. And we have somebody who works very closely for us, who's an agent, but he's like kind of like our main advisor. And he's like, you know, if I if I'd heard this audit six months ago, it would have been relevant, but it's not anymore. And that's how fast it's moving. And, you know, and, and kind of our feeling is like, wow, even if we find this great talent and they're just focused on us and if they're busy enough that maybe they're not yeah. get, getting the opportunity to, to, to interact with the community that they know that they are falling a little bit behind because things are moving so quickly. Um, and then the other thing is, look, it's about talent, you know, and, you know, if you're talented and you want to, you know, run your own show, you're going to start your own agency. And I hope that we're a good enough client to work with that they want to be as involved as possible. And they, it's usually the case. They become very passionate about our brand. And you can tell when people are full of shit and when they're not, when these guys are like, I love your brand. I love working with you guys. All of every agency we've ever worked with has had that attitude. We treat them well. We treat them with respect. We honor them for their successes and we work with them to improve any deficiencies. Right. Um, but I think it's finding that nice mixture of in-house being, being supported by really strong agency work. I yeah. think that's probably the perfect model right now. It is for us. Even like really great e-com businesses like Ridge Wallet, for example, who we, we love, you know, we know the team there. Um, they've got an incredible in-house team. They they lean on tons of agencies too. I think yep. you know. So. Yeah, they lean on creative ideas. Yeah, they lean on creative agencies, right? So creative is one of those things, especially if you're heavy paid social, where it's like you know why not source some creative from these guys, from these guys, from these guys, and see right because we do need a, a, a wide diversity. Um, yeah, so it's it, it, exactly. And I've spoke with someone from Purple, right, which is obviously a. a big case study in, in e-commerce growth. And one of the things he said yesterday is he's like, I mean, the biggest thing it made me realize is like, we had in-house people, we had agencies, we had, it, it takes a village to do what we did, you know, like, um, so yeah, to like really grow something. I think it's, it's a combination and it's, and what I always say is like, you know, putting aside my agency bias, there are pros and cons for sure, you know, but it, it is it ever like, it's kind of an amoebas thing, right? For the, for the business of like, what's the right push and pull at any given time. Um, but yeah, it seems like you guys have a good mindset on it. Um, I do want to be cognizant of time. There's some stuff that, you know, uh, I still want to hit on. So as of right now, 2022, April, I know you guys are, are doing, you know, having experiencing great, like you're, you know, YOY growth and, um, and efficiency. What do you think are some things that you're doing really well, you know, and if you can break it down as, you know, tactically from, it, the show's kind of focused on marketing and growth, but if you can break it down tactically, great. Uh, if not, you know, just some things generally that's helping you a ton. Um, 
like right now today? And what are some things that you don't feel like you're doing very well or, or you feel like you need to improve or, or whatever you need to crack? Some people are like, I, you know, we're not really leveraging TikTok. You know, we need to crack that or whatever it is. Um, what, what's kind of like the, you know, here's what's working super well for us. If you want to go try that, here's what we're not doing well that we're, you know, but we think we need to improve. I, I think we'll both have like some some answers to that question. But I would say one thing we weren't doing well uh, say if you, we talked one year ago is the consistency of our messaging was, was not always great. And it really came down to, we were doing so well that it was hard to really focus like that. We want people to understand always what we stand for and what they're getting when they engage with Hexclad. Yeah. And we were able to kind of cover that up because we had such a good product, such good word of mouth. Um, we also like, look, it helped. We, we were not paying anybody to promote our product. The most we ever did was give somebody a free pan. So like, it really helped us when all of a sudden during the pandemic, all the, every celebrity is now a chef and I'm going to do my own cooking show and, and Halle Berry's using our cookware. We didn't even know. She, we didn't even send her a pan. She bought it. <laughs> and yeah. Cameron Diaz is cooking with our cookware and Ava Longoria and Courtney Cox is cooking on her show with our cookware and Hallie Bieber. Oh, she can only make mac and cheese out of a box, but she's doing it in our pants. She, looks <laughs> she does look good doing it. But like all these people are using our cookware, a Courtney Kardashian, like, and we didn't pay anybody to use this stuff online. And so like that gives you some credibility yeah. that people are seeing it and that these people are getting everything for free, but they're choosing to use our, and they're reaching out like, Hey, can I get more? I love this. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we didn't pay anyone a dime and that's like kind of where I'll go into, cause we, we touched briefly on it, but I, I will flesh it out a touch more in, in, uh, towards the end of the summer in 2020, uh, the guy who, who run, ran our social media calls me up and he goes, you know, Gordon Ramsay's following us on Instagram. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. World's biggest chef. He's like, should I DM and see if, you know, they want a pan or whatever. Next thing you know, he's on with Gordon's assistant. He's like, I think Gordon has one of your pans and likes it. And do you want some more? Yeah, send over a few pans. Cut to a week later, we're on a phone call with Gordon's lawyer and agent in England. And he's like, Gordon loves your pans. A chef friend of his gave him one. He loves them. Uh, he doesn't do deals. Like he'll, he'll, you can hire him for a commercial, but he really doesn't do these partnerships very, very rarely. Uh, and we started talking. He's like, he wants to be involved. Like he wants to have input into design. He wants, you know, strategy. Um, and he didn't, he really didn't want say, give him 500 grand for a day of filming. He wanted to be involved. And this was really spoke a lot to our brand and, and our product. And when we got a, maybe a month later, we had a Zoom call planned and I penciled like 20 minutes for this. So it's just the two of us, Gordon and his lawyer. And we get on the phone and obviously uh, Gordon likes to talk and I, I don't mind talking either. And the two of us are like going at each other, but it's like, He's like, in my restaurant, we're going to make risotto table side in, in this pan. And he's holding our pan up. And he's like, we're going to do this. And I'm going to put it on my restaurants. 
And and then he's like walks around. He's giving us a tour of his house. He's like, "That's my son Oscar." As he <laughs> on the computer and into the kitchen and pointing out everything. We were on the phone for an hour and a half, and it was, and it worked. And it was genuine. It was genuine, and he was passionate about it. And we didn't pay him any money upfront. He's like, "I want to invest in this and be part of this." And he's a partner, and. He does a lot for us. Like our, we're, we did a soft launch in the UK in, in February. He threw it in his cooking academy. He took half the day off to be there to meet with the press, cooked with everybody. We taught a, a cooking class. Um, we're going to start sharing some of that footage soon. So that type of stuff, like, you know, the trolls will be like, oh, look at Gordon, the sellout. Not a sellout. He wanted to be involved in something he believed in. And, you know, and he's giving value for money really in a way and, and and i think that 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 type of thing that strong base is what gave us the ability to overcome some weaknesses in our messaging at at times so we could get really clear on that in q4 of last year um and that's really what we've been working on <laughs> so sorry i went off no, on the, go the gordon no, tangent it's, true. But it's, it's that you know, one we've we've heard it. You know, other agencies have come in and said, "No, you know, your product is amazing. You've got like the best product spokesperson on the planet, but your messaging isn't consistent. Your packaging, your information. So we just we completely overhaul overhauled our packaging. It's it's like it's going to look incredible. You know, like an iPhone experience. You know, really elevating the brand. I mean, what we're doing is, you know, we're not a cookware company anymore. We're, we're a best in class consumer brand. That's what we're building." Um, and so to do that, you have to be consistent in every way you touch the customer, you know, at an elevated level. And then, you know, the last thing I'd say about doing well is that, you know, we are trying to be a little less focused just on returns and marketing efficiency. And because that's kind of like the ROAS drug, right? But, but we're, you know, we're, we're willing to say, okay, we, we, we know we have solid we're a profitable company, you know, we're a nine figure business and we're growing, you know, fast, you know, at our size faster than I would have ever thought. But, you know, in order to get better and, and we, we need to take, we're taking a few bets in terms of content and on our brand now, uh, but within the level of tolerance that I, as a finance guy, you know, We'll be like, okay, I think we've got, we can take not this like band. Dan, not like Danny tolerance where he's like, <laughs> we can take this band and spend it. Sorry, Danny and Cole, you know, we're not going to have that one to spend. I'm going to go spend that over here, you know? And, you know, it's working because, you know, we're, uh, I mean, our Q1 numbers are, I mean, we're, we're, we're really scratching our heads and we're just, you know, we're thrilled with it. And, you know, you're always like, okay, we, we got to keep it going. Like but we're up. We're up 100% this month over April of last year. Yeah. Which is, you know, we, you know, obviously we, we did our projections for the year. So we're, we're pretty happy. Yeah, definitely a good pace. Yeah, Q1 was, Q1 was high double digits. And, you know, the fact that we're, we're over 100 for, for April already and the month's not over. It's just like, all right, it's all good. So, so I'm going to ask you an interesting question here, and this is what we'll leave with, right? So we, we kind of do a parting shot or so like, you know, if we're going to sum up, uh, how do we sum it up? So imagine, you know, like you step into an elevator, uh, you got probably, you know, 30 seconds to ride up. Um, 
and and somebody knows who you are or have, has heard of the brand, you know, they find out, oh, you're the president of, of Hexclad or the C co-founder of Hexclad. Like, what have you learned growing this brand that like you could like what's the most important thing you've learned growing this brand that you would tell me if I were, you know, also wanting to grow an e-commerce brand? I got one, but do you you want to do yours first? Okay. And this was even kind of uh in a sports analogy because it really kind of fits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was um I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. And and you know, Marv Levy, the old coach when I was a kid almost, uh, uh you know, the great Super Bowl years. Uh he used he had all these great sayings, you know, he he was uh, like an English literature major in Harvard. He but he said it's real simple. He goes, you he goes, be able to play in any condition. And it just sounds so simple, but he's like, it means in the rain, on AstroTurf, in, in, on natural grass, night game, cold game, Miami heat in September. And this comes through preparation and the ability to be nimble and admit that this isn't working. Because the thing is, like, we, 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 the the cemetery of companies littered with people that that like hitch themselves to to a strategy or a product or something way too long, yep. and I think you need to be always aware of that. And Jason, when he came out, and brought this up with two things. He's like, you got to be. He goes like, we're reactive too often but he goes we're good we're good at being reactive we're we're one of those companies that reacts well but where we now the way we up our game is being proactive and now we gotta we gotta spend as much time fixing problems we gotta spend as much time preparing to avoid those problems and those pitfalls going forward yeah sounds like a finance guy I'm going to leave it at that. Danny, got, <laughs> Danny took care of it. Love it. Well, yeah. Thank you guys so much for being on. Loved hearing about Hexcloud. Loved hearing your growth story. Uh, yeah. Casey, say the YouTube stuff. Take us out. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us today. John, thank you for uh, being here and leading this interview. I, I love just sitting back and listening to this. This is great stuff. Uh, Modern Commerce, thank you for joining us. If you've made it this far into the video, hopefully you liked it. So go ahead and hit the like button, uh, obliterate the like button, smash the like button, whatever the kids say these days. Uh, hit the, the subscribe button so that you are subscribed to the channel. Hit the bell icon to get notifications about whenever we drop new videos on the channel. And as always, until next time, we'll see you.